Hi guys. Welcome to the After Hours Q&A. I am Lauren Hickson, a functional nutritional therapy practitioner, and I am here to answer your questions. And we're going to do things a little differently this time. Um, we just finished the After Hours show with Kevin and I, and while we were there, we were about to go over a case study that we chose for the show, and we decided to do it a little differently this time. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Angie. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to go ahead and read aloud the case study that we, um, that we chose for today. And Kevin's on here live to answer any questions and to give us his, um, you know, his thoughts on the case. So if you missed it today, we discussed, hi, Christy, we discussed blood sugar regulation. So the last two weeks we discussed um, digestion. First, we, did, we, we went through the digestive system and how it works and functions when it's working properly. And then we follow that up with a conversation about what it's like when our digestive system is not working properly and how there are so many ways it can go wrong. And so today we thought it was a natural progression to go into blood sugar regu regulation. So we did that and we discussed it at length in our um, after hour show. And the case that we chose to cover is someone who actually is dealing with blood sugar um, imbalances. She's been diagnosed diabetic. She is 54 years old and her main concerns are diabetes and insulin resistance and um, some kind of digestive upset. She, she noticed that her stomach is not feeling quite right when she eats. So let's uh, go ahead and jump right in. Hi, Curtis. All right, so after going through the NutriQ results and looking at the findings from the initial interview, which is a questionnaire that you will fill out before the discovery call. Um, it asks, you know, pretty regular lifestyle questions uh, about, you know, your main concerns, uh, what your diet is like, um, if you're on any medications, different supplements that you're taking and all of this. And so after reviewing it, I noticed a few things. Um, some really interesting reveals were that this 50-year-old woman who's concerned about diabetes is on Jardians. Um, and Jardians actually caused uh, diabetic ketoacidosis, which is not good. We know that this happens when, um, basically, if Kevin, you want to jump in at all about this, because I'm kind of curious to hear what you have to say, because we talk about ketones and, and whatnot, and we, we really are a big proponent for, um, you, you know, using fat, breaking down fat for energy in the body, as opposed to relying on just sugar for energy. So it's interesting when you hear that people are struggling with different things um, and one of them as severe as ketoacidosis. So 
what ketoacidosis is, is that you don't have enough insulin in the body to bring the, to bring into the cells for energy storage. So instead the body breaks down fat for fuel using ketones, but sometimes very rarely this could be, you know, you can be breaking down or using too many ketones. Um, they're being produced and they're being produced too fast before your body has a chance to use them for energy and they can kind of build up. So that's the idea of what ketoacidosis is. So obviously not something that, that we want to occur, but something that is very rare. And typically we see it with, um, you know, when it's linked to, to diabetes and uh, lack of insulin or insulin resistance. Yes, so Kevin, Kevin just chimed in and said, that ketoacidosis only seems to occur when on diabetic medications. And that for me has been the case as well. This is one of the very few cases I've actually come across where someone has ketoacidosis. And she did mention that Jardians was the medication that actually caused it. So I thought that was really interesting to know. So her main concerns are diabetes um, and insulin resistance. So let's dive into some of the findings we found with her food changes. Well, first of all, she just started changing her diet a little bit. It's just, she's about a month into it. So main changes are um, that she's not having any added sugar um, or what she claims are bad carbs. So let's look at what a typical breakfast is for her now that she's working with a you know, low carb and less sugar. For breakfast, she's having a protein shake with coconut milk um, and stevia powder and an oolong tea. So we'll jump into our ideas about what how we feel about protein powders, but we prefer that you eat the real whole food form of proteins because of, for, for many reasons. First of all, my main concern about protein powders is that they are usually um, denatured and they use very high heat to kind of like cook the nutrients out of them and then get them into powdered form, which means a lot of things. It means that they're not gonna be full of the nutrients that they should, the protein won't be as nutrient dense as it should be. And also the, the breaking down digestive um, process is different. So we talked a lot about digestion and how it's a north to south process and it starts actually in our brain, but then it goes in, you know, then it goes to the mouth. And the mouth, it has several functions. Um, one is a mechanical function of chewing. Now, one of the important things about chewing is that it helps to signal the rest of the body that hey, we're eating, so we need to send a signal to the rest of the digestive system to say that food is coming, and if we're just drinking our protein instead of chewing it, it's not going to really register that you need certain, you know, the production of hydrochloric acid to break down the proteins and other different enzymes and whatnot and different pancreatic, you know, juices to help break things down. So it's not my favorite way to get, you know, proteins in the diet. I personally prefer to eat 
full, um, the, the animal source of protein in its full form so that you are getting all the nutrients from it and you're also uh, stimulating the digestive system, letting it know that, hey, protein's coming so you can help break it down for absorption. Um, let's see here. Kevin also mentioned uh, in terms of this case study that it's a listed side effect of most diabetic drugs, the ketoacidosis, which I did not know. Actually, I, I think that's really interesting. Um, and he agrees with the whole idea of the protein powder. We prefer real food sources of protein. Uh, another thing about protein powders that I don't like is that there is usually a lot of additives. So usually um, different sugars and definitely a lot of chemical additives. They've even found a lot of, um, what is it, like heavy metals in, in, in different protein powders. So also the source of the protein powders, who's making it, where the source of protein is coming from. Is it coming from a conventionally raised animal? Is it coming from you know, a grass fed and raised and finished animal. Those are all things that we really want to look at. But all in all, we try to stay away from those. Hi, Jack. Jack is wondering if his use of Jardians caused his elevated glucose. And that's an interesting question. So Jardians, you know, I mentioned that, that Jardians is the drug that created this ketoacidosis in the case study that we're going over. And in terms of it being able to raise glucose, so, so now you can't get it into range and you think that Jardiance was a factor in that. Well, let me just look at the exact function of Jardian, since I don't know it off the top of my head. I want, I know it's, you know, recommended for diabetics quite often. So it blocks the reabsorption of glucose by the kidneys through urination. All right. So it was blocking the reabsorption of glucose. And then when you come off of it, I don't know, actually. Let's see if Kevin can weigh in here. Kevin's asking if there's any sign of infection. Jack, you let us know if there's any sign of infection real quick. All right. He said normal range lately is 300. All right. Now, another... Uh, another really interesting thing about the case study um, was the amount of stevia this person is adding to their diet. So she's adding it every breakfast um, and she's definitely using it um, in different sodas that she's th drinking throughout the day. So, you know, stevia will raise um, your blood sugar. It's going to raise your blood sugar. Um, and it's not something that I would that I would recommend for someone who's who's diabetic. I actually recommend that for people that are diabetic that they go really um, serious and strict on the amount of sugars and artificial sweeteners that they're eating. Um, some people think that artificial sweeteners is a safer bet, but it's really not because you're, you know, where digestion works in the mouth, 
it's signaling your taste buds that, hey, it's sweet and there's sugar coming. So it's going to, your pancreas is going to release insulin for, you know, to start getting prepared for this sugar to hit the blood. Um, so what happens is if it's an artificial sweetener and sugar is not coming, it's still going to trigger the insulin, which is going to, you know, force you to gain weight. And then also it's typically surprise, you know, later down the road when sugar doesn't arrive. And then you have this insulin that's ready. Sugar doesn't arrive. So the whole, you know, we want to cut out sugar altogether, cut out artificial sweeteners altogether. There's, you know, part of the problem with sugar addiction is that we crave the sweet stuff. So I promise you, once you remove it for, you know, a good amount of time, you'll stop craving it and it'll be easier for you to eat, you know, meals that don't include sugar. So now let's go back to the responses here. Um, Kevin mentioned that Jardians can cause infections and it could raise blood sugar. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, that's why he asked if there was an infection um, at all. Jack says, yes, infections I've had is cellulitis in the past. There you go. There you go. So, yeah, definitely infections can raise blood sugar. Um and interesting to know that Jardians can cause infections. I had no idea. That sounds like a dangerous drug if you ask me. All right, uh, Jack, that should answer your question there. Now let's go to Peter. What would cause my hemoglobin level to rise? I made 10 donations to lower my ferritin level and it was dropping each time. On the 10th donation, hemoglobin is higher than when I first started any action required. Kevin's response, Peter, you can just ignore the hemoglobin. It's not a concern. And that's really interesting. Um, back to Jack. The infection may be the cause of higher blood sugar. Have you checked your pancreatic function? Jardians causes high sugar numbers in the urine that can lead to urinary infections. Wow. So Jardians doesn't sound like the drug of choice if you ask me. Why don't we just uh, cut the carbs a little, get a good amount of exercise and regular movement, like little walks, you know, every so often, and uh, hopefully insulin will come down and uh, you'll stop being resistant and, you know, fix diabetes and with the diet, fix it with the diet. That's the answer there. All right. Um, so other food findings, um, eating salads with proteins, whether it be tuna or eggs, um, steamed vegetables, fish and chicken and beef. So it sounds like this woman is making a positive change in her diet, aside from the protein shakes, which she probably thought was a good choice. Um, my recommendation to her would be to not to eliminate the shakes, eliminate the stevia as much as she can, um, especially, you know, the sodas with stevia and all that. So eating real whole nutrient dense proteins is going to be a better option and good, a good amount of healthy fats. Let's not 
forget that when we're removing the sugar, our energy needs to come from somewhere. So increasing the good amount of healthy fats in the diet is going to be, you know, a great thing. So when I looked at the NutriQ findings, I found that her digestion is looking pretty good. The only issue I saw with digestion is that her small intestines were in a high priority. Now that's telling me she most likely has dysbiosis. She most likely is dealing with leaky gut. But as of right now, it wasn't a main concern of hers. Um, but it's something that we want to address. Absolutely, we want to address this. So when the small intestines are off the chart, I typically will recommend um, a leaky gut protocol. So in terms of the recommendations, um, well, some other nutri findings were actually, um, so small intestines was really high indicator. The fatty acids was very, very high, meaning, you know, she's probably not getting enough good healthy fats in her diet is my, my assumption there. Um, especially after seeing the types of foods that she's eating, I'm not seeing a good enough, you know, a good amount of healthy fats. Plus when I see, you know, steamed veggies, um, fish, chicken, and beef, and we really dive into those things, I'm usually finding that it's chicken breast, not, you know, a good, healthy, dark meat, you know, mixed with a good amount of fats. Um, same thing with beef. It's usually a filet as opposed to, you know, a New York strip or something that is, contains a lot more, um, you know, good fat content. Steamed veggies, we want to slather those with a good amount of butter or, um, you know, olive oil at the very end. That's always a good one as well. In terms of eating salads, you know, if someone is, you know, their, their fatty acids are in the high priority range um, and they're eating a lot of salads, I'm going to ask them what kind of salad dressing they're, they're using. A lot of people are using these store-bought salad dressings that are loaded with um, canola oils or, you know, other vegetable oils that are super high in omega-6s, which are highly inflammatory and can cause inflammation in the gut, um, which could lead to a small, you know, small intestine situation like she's dealing with. Another thing, um, so basically eliminating the bad fats, really increasing the amount of the good healthy fats, um, salad dressings. I typically recommend making your own salad dressing because then you know exactly what's going into it. My favorite go-to is just straight up extra virgin olive oil with some fresh lemon or apple cider vinegar, um, salt and pepper if you want to add a little more salt. Um, but those are really easy go-tos. And sometimes if I'm going out to dinner and I know it's a restaurant that is not going to have a bunch of good healthy options and I opt for a salad, I'll bring my own salad dressing to ensure that I'm getting, you know, a good mix of healthy fats. Just, uh, you know, some little... Uh, hacks when you're eating out and salad dressing is an easy thing to bring it you know you can get a container this big and just carry it in your purse or wherever on you um let's see hi joseph of course we appreciate you we do what we do for you so thanks for uh listening to the show all right so back to the nutri-q um sugar handling She's a diabetic, so obviously it's going to be very high. It's actually off the charts high. So really addressing that. Um, also, you know, instead of having apples for snacks, yeah, apples are not 
they're not a bad food, but we, you know, we also want to make sure that if we're eating an apple, we're adding a good healthy fat to it. Um, apples are, are typically really high in sugar. So, you know, making sure, you know, that you're adding some kind of fat, like, uh, I like to, you know, eat my apples with cheese or a nut butter. Um, Kevin likes to add homemade yogurt to his dressings to make them creamy. That's a great idea as well. Um, I also like to add avocado to make it creamy. So some other additions to, um, to salad dressings. Oh, oh, that's right. Kevin just reminded me. We actually have new nut butters in the store. Um, I think we just got a new walnut butter that I've heard is amazing. So, um, go ahead and place your orders for that. I actually forgot to do that earlier this morning, so I need to do it before it runs out because that typically happens when we get new products. We run out so quickly. So be sure to try the new walnut butter. But yeah, we also carry other um, nut butters. Jack, let's see. We need some posted recipes for salad dressings and some good sauces. I love it. Great idea. I am going to write that down right now so I can remember. I love being um, challenged for recipes. So I will definitely add some of those. That's a great idea. I hadn't even thought about that. Oh yeah, here it is. Kevin just posted a link to the Old Dog Ranch. It is the walnut butter that we were just talking about. So there is a walnut butter that's just walnuts. Um, there's one with some raw honey and sea salt, and there's one that's chocolate flavored. That's what I'm talking about right there. <laughs> All right, let's go back to this case study. All right, so with this case study, we know that sugar is a problem. Um, she mentioned the different medications that she's on. And we mentioned that Jardians, she is recently off of because of what it did, causing a keto, keto acidosis. Um, so what I recommended for her, I, rec I recommended a high fat, low carb, moderate protein diet, which is nutrient dense keto. Um, I let her know that Stevia is not a good option right now. Um, perhaps maybe down the road she can, you know, go back to it. But right now it's, it's not going to help her in her situation. She needs to re to eliminate any chance of her body, um, creating an insulin response. Um, and by eliminating stuff like stevia is, you know, is the answer, um, as well as any kind of processed foods and stuff like that. Also, those sodas, um, we got to get off of those sodas, even if they are artificial, you know, if artificial sweeteners are used. Artificial sweeteners are actually really bad for the intestinal tract. They cause inflammation. Um, now, what I, I would also recommend is the leaky gut protocol. Her small intestines are in the high priority range, meaning she needs to heal the gut. Um Eliminating protein shakes and artificial sweeteners. I mentioned that. Um, that is going to help heal the gut as well. 
Um, I'm also going to recommend that she takes um, a fatty acid supplement. A really good one that we carry in the store is Optimal EFAs. It's high in omega-3s. That's really good for, um, for a lot of things, but she is clearly not getting enough good omega-3 fatty acids in her diet. So supplement, supplementing for now is going to be recommended. Also, reducing stress. Her stress is at, is at an 8. We talked today about, di about uh, blood sugar regulation, and we know that what causes um, blood sugar to rise is diet, a high, uh, you know, high sugar diet, um, which includes carbohydrates, any kind of carbohydrates, um, as well as stress. So getting her stress response um, lower, you know, there are different ways to do this. Spend more time outside, get some exercise, avoid things that, that create stress that you are very aware are creating stress in your life. Um, other things, um, you know, some stress buster stuff that, that Kevin has been recommending, you know, the hot and cold, um, you know, cold plunge, hot saunas, you know, the sauna blankets, um, meditation, breath work. That's, that's a huge one. Um, Wim Hof has some great breathing exercises to help you get your stress levels down. All of these things are going to help mitigate stress. And that is also going to help manage your, your blood sugar regulation. Sarah says she just posted an article on making the bacteria culture with sweet potato and coconut milk. Oh, that's pretty cool. I'd have to check that out. All right, Trenton, do you have to refrigerate fermented veggies after the first serving from the jar? If not, how long before a refrigerator needed? Yes, I would recommend that after you crack open um, any fermented vegetable that you put in the refrigerator after. Um, and if you're putting it in the refrigerator after, usually the rule of thumb is four hours, but um, it is fermented. So I, you know, it should be fine if, if it's been a little over, but yeah, I would definitely recommend refrigerating fermented veggies after you, you pop the lid. I'm sure Kevin, Kevin has a lot more experience with fermented foods because it sounds like he does a lot of canning and stuff like that. I have my, my experience with it is pretty limited. I've only done a few batches. I actually need to, need to, um, get back on that, that wagon there. Kevin says he ate pickles yesterday from last year's garden. Oh, that's great. But were they sealed, refrigerated? What was the situation with that, Kevin? <laughs> Jack, <laughs> didn't you study French cooking sauces, natural gravies? I did study those. Um, so what kind of sauces specifically are you are you interested in? I typically don't go back to the, the old French traditional cooking methods. Not typically. I actually gained quite a bit of weight when I was in culinary school. Um, uh, I have been messing around with a few really good sauces lately. But I, I, I really need to get back to making one or two a week. I, I really like having a few. Lately, I've done, what have I done? I've been playing around with like a, 
creamy mustard sauce. I like it on pork. I also like to dunk artichoke into it, the leaves of the artichoke into it. And yeah, I did, I did that last week. So maybe I'll post that. I'll post my creamy mustard. It was really good. It turned out really good, but I used egg yolks, um, whole milk. I forgot what else. I'll have to look into it. I, I know I took a few notes, but uh, it was my first time making it. It was kind of, you know, a trial. So I will definitely post it. Um, let's see. Kevin says you can leave fermented foods at room temperature, but they'll continue to ferment. Mine were in the fridge, not sealed. Yeah. In the fridge... It, they last for a very long time after you open them. I wouldn't be worried about them. Um, but in terms of, yeah, if you leave them out, they'll ferment more. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I haven't done that, but I don't know if that's a desired flavor that you would want. But, um, you know, I don't know. I guess you can test it out. Trenton, hello, all loving the new shows. It's awesome having access anytime I want to listen. Keep up the great work and know that it's appreciated. Thank you, Trenton. We love what we do. Matt just recently ate some fermented cabbage that I made last year. This is from Angie. I was afraid, so I let him test. It's been a few weeks and he's still alive and kicking. Must be good. There you go. There's your answer. Kevin, I've been doing a mustard sauce with porkin. Is that a typo or is that really what you're uh, trying to refer to? Porkin. Is that, what's porkin? Now I'm really curious. Oh, typo. <laughs> I was going to say, I must be missing something. Um, Kevin's mustard sauce is just the pan drippings from sauteing the pork. Ooh, yum. Then I add butter, chicken broth, and a touch of cream. Nice. That actually sounds really, really good. Awesome. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what I did. I think I just did, I did butter base, um, a little bit of mustard, definitely some, some like a whole milk or cream, whatever I had in the fridge. Um, and I did some egg yolk. I, I added a couple egg yolks to it to kind of thicken it up and kind of give it, I don't know, just a little more depth. It was really, really good. And then, oh, I can't remember what else, but I'll, I'll have to test it out a little, a little more. And then I, I will post a, I'll post a recipe. But yeah, I love that, Kevin. I love when you can do like a deglazing. So after you cook a protein in a pan, what you can do is you just add some stock or broth, any kind of broth to it, and it deglazes the pan. So it's pan. It's easier for cleaning because then everything's not stuck to the bottom of the pan. And then you can make a really good um, kind of a gravy or it's great sauce base. So, you know, you can add um, different kinds of things like Kevin adds two types of mustard, um, Dijon and brown mustard and you know, kind of the sky's the limit when it comes to getting different, um, adding different things into that base. So you deglaze the pan with like a bone broth, um, and then you can thicken it up with some, you know, fat like butter or ghee, 
and then add different, you know, flavor components like mustard. So some good options there, guys. Um, so I'm just going to finish up here with this case study. So all in all, um, different things. Berberine is, you know, we've mentioned it a handful of times. I'm sure Kevin's mentioned it for years. Um, they, they actually compare the results to, to taking berberine for blood sugar regulation. They compare it to metformin. So, you know, it's, it's not going to be a drastic change, but, you know, it's not like a magic pill, but it is going to help regulate blood sugar. So just, you know, something that can be recommended is that. Um, so aside from a high fat, low carb diet um, with moderate protein for this individual in the case study, we're also going to work on leaky gut. Um, so the leaky gut protocol is definitely recommended for her. Um, and then just eliminating things like these protein shakes, any kind of artificial sweeteners, um, making sure she's increasing her amount of essential fatty acids, um, omega-3 specifically, and reducing stress. So just some good information there. All right, one more. I don't know if this is a question, but... Oh no, it's a con. Just completed my first batch of kimchi with wasabi, which was awesome. Just wanted to keep the flavor. That sounds really good. Wow. Did you use fresh wasabi for that? Because I've never even been able to find fresh wasabi in the store. I know that a lot of the wasabi that you buy at the store, whether it's like in a tube or the powdered kind, I think most of it is horse, uh, horseradish. But um, that sounds really good. So using wasabi for um, kimchi sounds like a great idea. Love it. I wish you could share it because I'd love to taste it. I don't think I've had wasabi kimchi. Usually I've had, the kimchi I've had are usually all like red chili based, I think. Local restaurant paste. It came out great. Nice, Trenton. Cool. Thanks for sharing. All right. Any last minute questions before we seal up this week's Q&A? Let me know. Thank you, Kevin. It was a great show today. Um, if you guys missed it, go ahead and have a listen. We covered blood sugar regulation and... You know, this is fun. It's been great, you know, being able to go through, you know, a few different things to really key in on so you can better understand what's going on with, you know, the body and how normal functions work and what goes on with dysfunction and how to avoid it. That's what we're here for, guys. Yes, Christy, berberine will help with type 1 diabetes. If you are no longer producing insulin, Kevin says, yes, <laughs> he exclaims a yes. <laughs> All right, Curtis, thank you for, for joining us. All right, guys, this wraps up today's Q&A. We will see you next week. I hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you then. Bye, guys. <laughs>